0: Jay McBain. Wow, I love talking to Jay. Uh, An analyst for the MSP, for managed service provider industry for a very, very long time. I always take pages of notes when I talk to him. Jay has great insights on what's happening in the uh, MSP industry. Great advice for MSPs and vendors. What the bottom 25% are doing, what the top 25% are doing. It's double-digit growth uh, managed service providers, but there's... Lots of caveats there, lots of shifts that need to be happen, uh, needs to happen. Just a great conversation, uh, how discipline plays a role, not only in Jay's life, but how he feels it should with, with vendors and with MSPs. Um, just so much information. I, I, I love it. He's, he's just so factual and so on point. Always a great discussion with Jay. I hope to have many more with him, some recorded, some may not be, but uh, you're going to love this conversation with Jay McBain. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Joey Pins. People ask me, how did I lose 130 pounds? The quick answer is always discipline. I started my business, wasn't paying attention to my health, was eating too much, you know, drinking too much sweets. My daughter was born, next thing I know I'm pre-diabetic, I have hypertension, I knew something had to change. Discipline. I, like many of you, have faced many challenges in your career, in your family, in your life, in your faith. How did you attack them? How did you approach them? How did you solve them, hopefully? It all had to have some degree of discipline. I'm also asked, how did you found and start a tech business that lasted over 25 years? Discipline. I was committed to it, enjoyed technology, didn't enjoy some aspects of it, but knew it was necessary. Discipline. Our podcast mission, how do we use discipline to better ourselves and society? Join me, please, as I talk to interesting people. And discuss how they use discipline in their family, and their passion, and their careers, and how it helped them. Our podcast vision, growth through learning from others. Joey Pins Discipline Conversations. It'll be light and serious. Join us, please. Thank you for consideration. McBain, good morning. Thank you for being here. I really, really appreciate it. always enjoy our conversations. Is it a good time to be an MSP? I think it's a great time to be an MSP.
1: The business is growing by double digits. And uh, if you look at the 26 other industries looking in, they would love to be growing their industry by double digits 22 years into the creation of the industry.
0: Wow. You said 26 other industries completely like the worldwide Well, I I
1: look at, uh, you know, if I'm in manufacturing, if I'm in consumer product goods, if I'm in finance or or insurance, if I'm in pharmaceutical, I mean, a double-digit growing business after decades uh, in a mature environment is is a great place to be. It comes with some caveats, which we'll talk about, but that being said, you know, the opportunity where every company in every industry is becoming a tech company, the skills that we've created, You know, perhaps the employees that we've uh, brought on board, the mission that that we're after is a healthy one. And it's got all kinds of upside, which uh, I think we'll be talking
0: about today. Yeah, yeah, we certainly will. And, you know, there's always been... You know, I started my MSP, you know this, in the 90s, and there was always this kind of threat of commoditization, and then there was, you know, what's going to happen with the cloud, and now there's kind of an infrastructure over to information shift. What are your feelings about all that?
1: Well, there's all kinds of pressure. You know, you've got uh, price compression. You do have consolidation. Uh, private equity and, and, and others in the venture cap uh, community have become very, very involved doing roll-ups, as we know. Uh, you know some of the negative impacts is that we may be in a double-digit growing industry, but upwards of half of MSPs have struggled you know, making money, breaking even in in mm-hmm. some cases, and uh, you know, making enough money in terms of the industry and the opportunity that we're in. So that always gives fodder for roll-ups, where perhaps uh, the average MSP has eight people. And trying to run the financial, the operations, the sales, the marketing, and all the other components of the business while trying to deploy you know, technicians and, and, and make the business work is difficult as a small business. And when you can roll that up to a headquarters location, you know, think about a franchise type of business where, you know, some of the HR and, and operations and finance and that stuff can be taken away and focus squarely just on the execution of the business. Uh, mm-hmm. That model is quite profitable, and that's driving a lot of other interest into our industry.
0: Yeah, and I've never seen it, you know, as as uh, as relevant as it is now. I mean, there's just so many PE firms out there trying. I mean, PE firm bought my MSP, you know, and uh, and that was a couple of years ago. But now there's even more than ever, just because of that model.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, there's a ton of opportunity as well. Uh, Private equity is looking at obviously different places. There's 175,000 SaaS companies today growing to a million. Hmm. You know, they're very interested in the growth models there, which can be double to triple the size of the MSP environment. So if these businesses are growing between 20 and 30%, kicking out much more profit, They're very interested in um, getting involved earlier and more often in that space. We're watching 800,000 emerging tech companies from Internet of Things and AI and automation and blockchain, from quantum computing over to the metaverse now. You know, we're watching 800,000 companies and private equity getting very interested in seeing these companies come in as partners, not to compete with the MSP, but to work with the MSP along with perhaps three to five other partners driving some really interesting co-innovation, interesting value creation that we've never seen at the customer level and seeing some really cool network effects that that are getting placed here that, again, when every company in every industry becomes a tech company, you know, the kind of the world's our oyster. We we just got to make sure that we're capturing that opportunity and not limiting ourselves to perhaps, managing the infrastructure of, of where our businesses got started 20 years ago and and taking that opportunity and layering other opportunities on top of it to make sure that we're taking advantage.
0: Yeah, that's an important shift of, you know, the the managed service provider is very used to handling infrastructure. And now that a lot of actually that's been moved to the cloud, you know, will they make the transition over to information where you know, applications are everything. Do you see that as a major trend? Well, absolutely.
1: So, you know, we're watching and we get to watch, you know, back in the day uh, when we first met, we were watching hardware, software, and services as categories. Oh, you know, today we watch 26 major categories with 250 minor categories below them. And, you mm-hmm. know, to the average MSP, at least once a year, I would look at that list of 250 and sort it from top to bottom in terms of growth rate. And a couple of years ago, you would have noticed RPA, Robotic Process Automation, growing at 73%. Last year, you would have noticed UiPath going public with an IPO, one of the biggest IPOs in US history, and becoming a 30 to $40 billion company overnight. You watch Microsoft invest in automation anywhere. So all that was happening, and inside a pandemic, the largest opportunity wasn't shifting to the cloud, the largest opportunity by spend was actually customers automating. And Mm -hmm. if you could, and I know MSPs and I used to work at Autotask 12 years ago and I got to see the scripting. I got to see all the customization and the workflows and the business logic. got to see these processes to move that into your customer environment, take advantage of that growing opportunity of RPA is an opportunity that's been missed so far by MSPs but it's not too late. We're still on the front end and that's still, you know, the fastest growing industry. Over the last couple of years, you've watched the hyperscalers go into hyper mode where, you know, they're growing at 46 and 50%, all of them, Microsoft, Azure, AWS, and Google are all growing at these rates, 46s and 46s and 51s every quarter for the last eight quarters. So they're growing fifties on top of fifties, which is pretty tough when you're getting into the tens of billions of dollars of sales. So these are markets where every one of those dollars kicks out somewhere close to $6 in MSP opportunity. And Hmm. this isn't margin. It's not reselling AWS or Google cloud. It's actually doing the implementations, the integrations, the security, the compliance, the continuity, the data, the automation, the things that we know how to do. But understanding that there's other companies now coming in, like system integrators and others that are taking advantage of these dollars. First of all because they've figured out, you know, the pie chart, they figured out exactly what goes into, you know, for example, Google Cloud we just did a report that was $5.70. And when you double click on that report and look at what those different elements of the $5.70, you look at your own skills, you look at the own practices that you've built, and you start to look at it and say, how much of that $5.70 can I capture as an MSP? I'm with the customer every 30 days forever. I'm there during those stages. But you know, you've know you got to switch up a little bit in terms of how you're skilling up. And as, especially from a sales and marketing perspective, how confident you are to go ask the customer for 2 or $3 for every dollar they're spending you know, in a specific area. That goes for SaaS as well, which we can
0: talk about. It's fascinating when you look at it that way. Um, I first want to talk about, let's get back to that for a moment, but how about just the term managed service provider, MSP? I see some big firms switching to TSP, technology service provider. Of course, there's MSSP. There's, I see a lot of ITSP. What are your thoughts on just the, you know, the, the naming of our industry? Yeah, I don't get caught up
1: in names. Um, I tend to fly at an altitude slightly higher than that. If it's a name that's now become universally known, which in managed services, which drove over $200 billion of business last year, 200 billion. I mean, 24 percent of SMB customers now outsource some or all of their IT to manage service providers. I'm not going to spend the marketing dollars. I'm not going to go run a Super Bowl ad with a QR code floating around for 14 million dollars to go introduce a new name. It doesn't make sense. But what I want to do is want to explain how managed services can take, for example, what we talked about, RPA to the next level, can take the mm-hmm. hyperscalers to the next level, can take the um, SaaS companies to the next level. You know, SaaS companies like Salesforce kicks out $6.19. HubSpot kicks out $5.80. I could go all the way down the list. Microsoft is out there in the press at the CEO level of a $2.5 trillion company. So Sacha's out there, talking about unlocking trillions of dollars right in that article it said that you know 30% of msps kind of get it and are crossing that chasm where 70% aren't they're not finding those rich dollars within microsoft that's kicking out you know 5 to 10 dollars depending on the product that they're selling so i would be focused there and i would be focused on new opportunities for example like finops brand new thing It's the roll-up of IT financial management. It's the roll-up of application resource management, but it's attacking it from a financial perspective. So we now know, and companies now know, that they've perhaps forklifted too much to the cloud. And so there's articles now in the Wall Street Journal and Fortune and Forbes and all the big private equity companies like Andreessen and others and OpenView. They're now writing research that says, you know, companies are perhaps spending too much now in the cloud. So who is there that can play the adult in the room that can talk right at the workload or container level of what should be run most efficiently in public clouds or private or hybrid or at the edge. And you might have some data center assets that are running at half speed because you forklifted too quickly. And if you're doing things like internet of things or AI or different levels of automation, it makes more sense to do the compute and the storage at the edge and only send into the cloud the result of that processing. I always give the example, like if you want to process anything inside Salesforce's cloud, it's extremely expensive. They overcharge for storage. They overcharge for compute. And it's not the place that you want to be doing that work, but it is the single source of truth in your business about your customers So you do want to send the result of the data there. The field that needs to be updated is what should be sent to the cloud, not all of the mountains of data or the data lake that you're processing to get to that field. And that's just one example that MSPs are managing that infrastructure. A lot of cases, they're managing some of that cloud and other things. If you take a FinOps approach, you're now not only working with a CIO or head of IT, You're now working with a financial group and saying that, hey, I could probably save you perhaps hundreds of thousands of dollars per year, and for a small cut of that, I will better manage where you ought to be doing your technology. That, to me, is a managed service because it's not a one-time project to say, hey, you're overspending. It's literally every 30 days capturing all of the shadow IT, capturing all of the, the spend going through the network. And just being able to better understand the architecture, the design, and how to implement that. And that's just an ongoing role in many companies. One of the fastest growing roles now isn't a CRO. It's not a CMO. It's a, it's a FinOps person that you know, kind of dotted lines into the CFO. They dotted line into the CIO. They're there to kind of keep everything managed appropriately.
0: Jay, you mentioned like Google's at 570 and others. uh, Can you explain what that means exactly? Yeah. So for 30 years,
1: uh, a bit more than 30 years, and I worked for IBM and Lenovo for 17 of those years, we hid the total cost of ownership. What's an interesting output is when you look back to client server, the total cost of ownership to the customer was so bad that it created the managed services industry. This is great. Like late in the 1990s, early in the 2000s, it got to the point where you know you bought that PC for a thousand bucks. You bought the server for $5,000. You connect it with a bunch of Cisco gear and stuff. That's when the fun started. And when you took mm-hmm. in all the other burden costs, it was atrocious. It was like 10 to 1. So yeah, I bought the PC for a $1,000 and I went to the end of the earth versus Dell and Compaq and HP to get that penny off that price. Then I ended up spending $10,000, you know, fielding help desk calls and break fix and all the stuff to keep that thing working for three years. And no one talked about that until managed services came in and said, Hey, we could probably do that for $5,000. You know, today it's been pretty much compressed in half, but you know, Today, the average is about $113 a month for that user, for that device, and says, we'll field it all. And we'll keep that thing running. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll put in all the remote management. We'll do the scripting. We'll, we'll lower the costs and lower the truck rolls to the point where you pay us a fixed cost and we solve your total cost of ownership problem. And so none of us ever talked about that really bad problem because we we're trying to sell our products. Well, guess mm-hmm. what? A company like Salesforce was the first to do it. Actually, they came out and said, "Listen, we know it's not free. When you install SAP or Oracle, it's atrociously expensive, and that's why companies like Accenture and Deloitte and PwC and all these exist. They come in and charge you millions of dollars for the implementations and the integrations, and the, it never ends. And it's just a it's a burn cost in IT, and we just never kind of talk about that. And now we are." Yeah. So managed service providers and now, you know, Salesforce, for example, said at that time, it was like $4 and 65 cents. This was about five or six years ago. And, and for the first time, you know, the CEO of Microsoft got up at Dreamforce in front of 180,000 people sitting in front of him and said, listen, the ecosystem, the economy that Salesforce kicks out is almost five times. And by the way, customers are sitting in the audience. This wasn't a partner audience. It was it was a blended audience. Hmm. And it basically said, if you're going to spend $100,000 with Salesforce, you better have a half a million dollars in the bank. Whether you do that internally, whether you do that with system integrators, whether you do that with managed service providers, a consultant, some industry group, it doesn't matter who you're bringing in. You're going to have to spend Mm. about a half a million dollars to go get it to work the way you want it to work, to get to that outcome. And now every company is following. I call it the multiplier but every company is actually publishing their TCO now. And what managed service providers can do is go grab that report. It's a Forrester report. It's out there for, for public consumption. And I'd want to see the $5.70 kicked out for every dollar. And I'd want to make sure to look at every slice of the pie. Do I have the security chops to go and manage a Salesforce environment? Can I run the continuity within a Salesforce Environment, the backup, the disaster recovery? Can I go and do the implementations and the integrations and the automation? Do I know how to write lightning bolts and lightning flows? Do I need to, you know, do I know how to do the consulting and the design and the architecture of what a good CRM or marketing automation or customer success cloud looks like? Do I know Tableau or MuleSoft? If you start answering these questions, I start to get up to the point where I understand the entire cost. Of deploying Salesforce. And if I can get to the point where I build enough of the skills and I have repeatable practices, much like Accenture does and says, Hey, I noticed you bought hundred thousand dollars with Salesforce because I recommended it. Uh, by the way, it's going to cost you, you know, $300,000 on this invoice to do this list of 57 things to get it working. Hmm. And that's the point that I think managed services is missing it's not the management of salesforce they manage their own cloud the uptime the resilience everything i mean they're managing that as a part of their core business they manage the security of their own data centers so you're not in their you know double securing their data center but all the other elements of it are open for management and that's why i like the term managed services because i think i don't think of saas as a product it's a subscription And every other product is either moving to subscription or consumption, which is another topic we can talk about. But in those worlds, that's perfectly fit for managed services because we need people to help us every 30 days forever. It never ends. And I just want to be aligned to where the opportunity that these big vendors are creating.
0: Yeah, total cost of ownership is is something that really MSP should focus on. It's uh, I didn't realize how, how bad those client server numbers were, but I certainly remember those times. Uh, we head up a, a focus group for uh, for Microsoft with a bunch of MSPs on their Power Apps, and the pushback from the MSPs is is so I mean they're scared they 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 don't think they have the talent to do it. They don't quite understand it. They don't know what questions to ask at the quarterly business reviews of, you know, from their clients. Uh, and that's I mean, this is a great, you know, platform that Microsoft has as an entry point to really understand that shift to information. But there's just so much resistance from the majority of the MSPs that we have in our focus group. I don't know how to tackle that. I don't know how to comfort that. They're just so ingrained in infrastructure. They need to make that shift. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah,
1: so there's two challenges uh, that we're facing at the same time. I mean, business intelligence and, you know, AI Mm -hmm. and predictive and prescriptive and machine learning, the whole power environment um, is a different um, thing. You know, when you look at those categories of products that I talked about, this is a completely different category that has its own channel, by the way, you know, that people Hmm. are focused on this you know, day in and day out, and looking at the competitors of I mentioned Tableau, but you know, competitors in this environment as well. But in, in a Power BI, you know, environment, um, it's learning a new set of skills, a new set of certifications, a new set of competencies. When I talked about setting up a new business practice, this isn't just taking people that are A plus certified and you know know how to work their way around a data center. It's getting people who understand the business elements of technology, as opposed to the technology elements of technology. And by understanding the business elements, the biggest difference and the biggest struggle is that this product set is sold into lines of business. It's not the CIO. They might be in charge of the installation, the implementation, obviously getting it uh, provisioned. But the fact of the matter is Power BI is used by The lines of business the head of marketing in many companies now spends more money on technology than the head of technology the head of sales the head of operations the head of finance the head of hr all of these line of business leaders are the ones that get value from the you know from these type of suites the business intelligence it's got b right in the name and the idea is every one of them are looking for new insights they're new, looking for new actionable things. They're looking for new predictive and prescriptive things that can take their business to the next level, their department to the next level. And they're looking to share that with other departments and they're, they're trying to get better. And the difficulty is not a technology conversation. It's trying to get those key data points and pull them together and get it to a point where you know, the data is clean, the data can be you know trusted, The data is scalable and start to really achieve business outcomes based on the technology. And again, this is one of those areas that managed service providers have struggled with. Different technology, obviously different buyer.
0: Yeah, completely, completely different. And we've mentioned the subscription model. I mean, MSPs have been charging flat rate for a long time, but subscription is a bit different.
1: Well, we talked about client-server. So let's just run down the companies. Mm-hmm. It, it started, uh, you know, early in the pandemic that summer, the first year, 2020, where Cisco went in and claim, went in and committed to 100% subscription consumption across their entire business. Wow. They're already 31% software. Uh, they just a rumor flew, flew last week that they're buying Splunk, which will take them to 40%. You know, software. You see where this is going, but all of the routers and switches and networking gear and everything they do is focusing on now subscription models. 30 days later, Michael Dell committed all seven Dell technologies, $94 billion to a hundred percent subscription. So now you're reading about Dell Apex and trying to push this envelope. HPE has been on this journey much longer and they committed to this year having GreenLake having all of HPE gear fully subscription consumption. They're probably two to three years ahead of anyone. Lenovo did TrueScale. IBM dumped its own managed services group into Kindrel and now is 100% focused on subscription consumption. So you can't find a client server era company that hasn't gone on the record by saying they're going all in. And it's not really the customers that want this. It's not the partners or the MSPs that want this. It's Wall Hmm. Street. It's absolutely Wall Street. Because all of these companies have watched the biggest subscription consumption companies become multi-trillion dollar valuations. Wow. And getting these 10, 20, 30 time valuations, HubSpot is worth 47x on the stock market. You know they're just reaching a billion in revenue. They're worth $47 billion on the stock market. People love, whether it's Netflix or Uber, they love subscription consumption businesses. So guess what? All the car companies, first they go electric. Then they go self-driving. Guess what's coming next? Transportation as a service. And that, you know, even the CEO of Ford uh, a day ago came out and talked about the future of dealers in an environment where Ford, where you're subscribing with Ford for transportation, not the dealer. And that's the CEO of Ford, which is, you know, pretty pretty bold. But that's what's happening in every industry. But in the tech industry, just assume that everything is going to get pushed this way And for these companies to break out of the funk they've been in for about a decade, you know, lack of revenue growth, lack of, you know, stock market growth, they are absolutely looking at the valuations here, you know, to get them to a trillion dollars is on the back of subscription and consumption, usage-based, value-based pricing, and the usage of marketplaces.
0: Fascinating model. And you think of some of the, uh, I mean... Of course, my electric bill's been subscription based forever, right? Um, you know, it's all consumption. I pay for what I use. And at the beginning of the conversation, Jay, you mentioned about fifty percent of MSPs don't make money. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do we need to do about that? What can they do? Well, I think they can
1: learn from some of these subscription consumption businesses. But I'll just end on your electricity one for a second. The the utility yes. of electricity um, is today a consumption model, but guess what? Everything wrapped around it, you know, in your house, your furnace, which, you know, breaks every seven years, your air conditioner, you know, which breaks every seven years costs you a bunch of money. The manufacturers Mm. of those parts are now going all in subscription. So carrier, one of the builders of air conditioners and and furnaces has now come out with a cool air as a service or hot air as a service, depending on where you live. And it's a monthly fee. And it's definitely, it's not from an HVAC. It's not from Larry in the white van. It's a direct Mm. subscription with carrier that basically for just name a price, you know, 39 bucks a month, you're going to have a house that sits at 72, no matter where you live in the country, every day of the year. And you're never going to think about it again. They're going to come do the maintenance because they need the thing to work for seven years. When the thing, you know, physically starts leaking and breaking after seven years, They're going to come and forklift the air conditioner and put in a new one. They're going to put in the most energy efficient model. Like They're going to be responsible for driving profitability in a set fee model. And so the rest of your life, from your toothbrush to your shaver, to your air conditioner, to your car, to everything you buy as a consumer, will come back into this monthly predictable consumption or service or subscription model. And this is an interesting change. This has, think about the whole HVAC industry. When that happens, they're not going to charge you hundreds of dollars to make a visit and pretend to do something, or pour vinegar into your lines and, and call it a day. You know, they're now going to be subscribed over to the vendor, and carrier is going to be deploying the least cost, most efficient. It's going to be a different model, and you know, for the middlemen in every industry, which drives most of the U.S. economy. You know, this is a big time of change this, this decade back to how to make money. So the core business has, we talked about become pretty compressed. We've had bottom feeders come into MSP. There is no barrier to entry in our industry. You don't have to pass a bar exam. You don't have to get a medical license. You th- There's nothing to say that you can't just, you don't even have to go get uh, a plus certification. Like you don't have to get anything. That's right. To fire up, it costs me, you know, five dollars at GoDaddy to get a URL. You know, I can get my LinkedIn page going over the weekend, and Monday morning I'm a fully functioning MSP. I just Mm -hmm. go and cut and paste all the words that you, you know, had on your previous website and put it on my website. And guess what? I mean, I have no, you know, you'd have to do some digging to find out that literally I started on Monday. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: what I can do to, you know, get my first customers is if you're charging. $149 a user device, I can charge 49 and I can just start breaking in. And, you know, to a customer, it's like a hundred dollars less per month. I mean, that's incredibly, it sounds like you're doing everything until you don't, which drags down the reputation of MSPs when you have bottom feeders. But it also, you know, in the end, it's almost impossible to compete with somebody half your price or a third of your price and that's what's happening. So it keeps dragging from the device price has gone down and down and down. And like I mentioned, you know, it's it's to a point now where 25% of MSPs actually lose money. And the next 25%, you know, struggle month to month. You know, s- some months they, they they make money, some months they don't. But, you know, paying your mortgage as an owner principal isn't guaranteed. And I, you know, I look to Paul Dipple, who, you know, sits on a mountain of research in collecting thousands of P&Ls. And generating an 800-page report if you want to go to the seventh decimal point on this. But while the industry is growing by double digits, um, it's a tale of two cities. The larger the company, the private equity-backed companies, they are making good money. The top 25% of MSPs are making incredible profits. You know, that Mm. 25% above that median line are running really nice businesses. So it, it's a tale of two cities where you know, some are not making money and others are you know, buying yachts. And, and this is um, you know, one of the challenges. And that's why I'm trying to point to those fast-growing industries where you can jump ahead of. These don't just come out of the blue. You know, We started talking RPA four years ago. It became a thing two years ago and then got put on steroids during the pandemic. You had a lot of time to build up those skills, build up that digital wherewithal, to get the reputation around your geography that you're the place to go, and and we're doing that today. We're predicting for the next ten years where the hot places are going to be. I mentioned FinOps, you know, obviously the this work around the cloud, but it, it's not reselling any of it. It's going to get the multiplier. When a customer spends hundred thousand dollars on something, you got to be in the frame of mind to go charge them multiples of that, two hundred or three hundred thousand dollars. To go get it to work, and that's the frame of mind that MSPs have to move into and solve this TCO problem, which we did twenty two years ago, and now go solve mm. it in a multi cloud hybrid
0: cloud environment. Boy, well, I just had a vision. <clears throat> excuse me, uh, Jay, of you and Paul Dipple talking. Boy, that must be something.
1: Yeah, I'm I am mean, um, incredibly <laughs> yeah. I, I I'm impressed by by everything he does and. I mean, he takes a laser pointer uh, to this thing. And, you know, I actually read that 800 page report and it's just, it's fascinating uh, because it's a roll up of, you know, your average MSP, the good, the bad, the ugly, everything's in there. And and you just kind of get to see um, a lot of things inside the P&Ls, inside the balance sheets, you know, inside Mm -hmm. your everyday average, you know, eight person MSP and the struggles that you go through to run a profitable business, given all the pressures
0: that we're under. And you, th- you, you feel that the lar- the biggest difference between the 25% not making money and the 25%, you know, buying yachts that are doing really well, is this kind of shift to information? Do you well,
1: feel one, that's is, one of the
0: major differences?
1: Yeah. One of the major differences is size. Again, mm. you know, a company with eight people, versus a company with 80 or 800, you know, have really different costs. Um, And a lot of them are fixed. A lot of them are burden costs that apply to an eight person shop the same way it would apply to an 80. So getting over that initial hurdle is tough. You know, the attracting the right employees, getting the right technology in place, not just an RMM and a PSA tool, but getting the right Portfolio of infrastructure in place, doing all the vendor management, doing all the work. It's a ton of work, and I'm not even talking about you know sales and marketing and HR and all that stuff. It's just incredibly tough uh, running a company, and it all falls on the owner principle because you really have to have the other seven people, you know, in in white trucks, you know, rolling if necessary as technicians. Hmm. So you don't have the luxury of hiring a CMO and a CRO and a FinOps person, a, a CIO and you know, all of a sudden you have eight direct reports and nobody doing the work. And I think we've all worked for companies like that before. Um, th- there's one person rowing the boat. But that that's the key is, is size is a great indicator. Two is the ability to break free and actually build out other practices. See where there's opportunities. For example, 73% of MSPs want to build out more MSSP security type of chops. Hmm. But this isn't just taking a couple of courses, adding a couple of vendors, because what ends up happening is you get it gets shoved inside your $113. And you went from 10 years ago to offering some basic antivirus and basic firewall. And now you're covering five of the seven layers of security and the customer isn't paying any extra for it. Mm-hmm. So you can't just magically you know, create all these security skills because you're in a model that you end up having to give them away for free. And it's a difficulty without, again, the sales and marketing and all the dedicated focus to go get the customer convinced to go spend another $50 a month to protect in a zero trust model, to to really build out what their legislation and regulation is telling them they need to do. Um, There's a difficulty there. And with all the other opportunities and really grabbing that multiplier, the bigger companies are having a better ability to manage all these opportunities than, you know, when you're chasing the dollar and trying to pay your mortgage and, you know, working as hard as possible. And and I feel for, there's a very, very long tail of 75,000 companies around the world that that they're struggling at that level. And there's another 500,000 VARs that don't even get the benefit of, you know, this monthly recurring revenue and predictive Mm -hmm. revenue and everything else. So, you know, the, the industry itself is going through some pretty big changes.
0: Absolutely. You mentioned at one point just staffing and training. That's become a serious issue now with with what's happened with the pandemic. People are able to work remotely and some of the very big firms, I just saw this morning Wall Street Journal, Target said they're investing 300 million in their current staffing, giving them raises, giving them training. A lot of people quit because they have, you know, under 40 hours, you know, and they want more hours. I think that's going to become a serious issue there for MSPs. Yeah. Yeah, I got caught up last night in a Facebook post someone made
1: that they said the average tenure at the big companies, the big Facebooks and um, Apples and Microsofts and AWSs mm. of the world, they listed you know, the big 10. The average tenure was like less than two years. Wow. Like, that can't be right. First of all, it said median and not mode. So it, it told me, uh, or mean, it told me it wasn't an average. That was the middle point. And so I went and di- dipped into LinkedIn, you know, with a premium version. I could see how much people they're hiring. Every one of those companies is hiring like a hundred thousand people a year. Wow. So Apple during the pandemic went from like it was two hundred thousand employees going into the pandemic. They're at four hundred and fifty thousand employees. Oh my they added two hundred and fifty thousand employees. So why is the you know median employee less than two? Well, they just got hired. There's a lot of long term Apple people but they're getting flooded with new people. So the same goes for Microsoft. All the trillion dollar companies basically have a blank check. And they're actually like darkening the skies with planes, hiring people. And so when I'm living in Wichita, Kansas, and I can go work for one of the big tech companies doing interesting stuff, that's competitive to the local MSP. Where I might be working on some more legacy infrastructure stuff. I could be working on the metaverse. I could be working on the next uh, you know iPhone. I mean there is absolute competition there with big tech and the other competition is every company in every industry is becoming a tech company. I can go work for Ford which that CEO the the article was titled we don't have we have too many people and we don't have the right kind of people was the title of the article. Hmm. It was in Business Insider and that's when he took a shot against the dealers as well. But it was the whole point that we're now a tech company and we've got a bunch of industrial mechanical car type engineers that don't fit into this new model. Tesla has go built hundreds of thousands of people that are computer people that happen to put four wheels bolted onto the computer. Mm. And you know, the, the other companies are the opposite. You know, these are people that, you know, engineer cars and they have for a hundred years, and that's not where Ford is going. That's not transportation as a service. So guess what? Ford is going to be hiring hundreds of thousands of people, along with every other company on the planet. Right. Pharmaceutical companies, banks, um, you know, manufacturers, all types are all going in. Guess what? Carrier, you know, your cool air as a service, they're going to go hire tens of thousands of tech workers. So now, do I work for the eight-person shop local in Wichita, or do I work from home for whatever industry, whatever company, whatever thing I want to do? Yeah, there's a
0: definite. Um, talent um, shortage and it's only going to get worse. It's only going to get worse. Yeah. Because not only are they hiring, but the salaries are very attractive. Uh, well, as well. I mean,
1: every one of those jobs I just mentioned at big tech are at least six figures.
0: Right.
1: Comes with a 401k, comes with all the benefits. I mean, if you go work for Google, you get your sleep pods and you get your, you know, you go work for Dropbox and you get a French chef that makes you three meals a day. I mean, I almost got lured into that San Francisco lifestyle Uh, at the last minute. I didn't do it. But, you know, the funny, these are just incredible things. You go work for another company, you're in a cubicle. You know, you go work there, you're you're working in a sleep pod. So (laughs) it's a different world.
0: Yeah, I remember reading once about Salesforce, how the CEO is big into meditation and there's like required meditation for the employees and... What should vendors better do, Jay, for MSPs? Vendors in the channel that want to work with MSPs, how should they um, act and behave and incentivize MSPs better?
1: Well, I've got a number of ideas here, but you know, there's thirty-five thousand vendors now, just to put a number on it. You know, back in the day, we had hundreds that we would consider. You know, that moved into the cloud world into thousands, but. Now, there's 17,000 SaaS companies now that have built out a channel program and hired a channel chief. There are ten, or about 8,000 of those emerging tech companies that have built out a channel program, put in a channel chief. You're watching like in security, there's 4,300 security companies. 2,000 of them have now hired a channel chief, put out a channel program, put out a portal. So every MSP every morning gets 35,000 cold emails and 35,000 cold calls you know, to join their program. The major mistake that most of the vendors, other than the top 20, top 30 that we know, that a a MSP will go to their portal. uh, If it is a major part of your revenue line, like you will double click on what makes you a gold partner and the riches that come from it. But for everybody Mm. else, they're never coming. So it's a field of dreams, you know, build it and they will come. They won't come. Mm. It's all about community. And you know I was in Cancun at NerdioCon last week and my wife is at uh, the CRN event in Dallas today. There's 150 events per year. There's 143 social groups. There's 100 great podcasts like this one. There are 59 magazines. There's 14 different sets of watering holes. And what I tell these vendors is you're not running the Super Bowl ad. You're not going to go and, you know, create the best program ever invented because It's just all a commodity now. You can't Mm -hmm. differentiate one program from that. You think those 2000 security companies have, you know, home runs inside their programs. They don't. And they're probably spending too much time and money thinking and thinking they could just get on a plane, get into these social groups, get into these watering holes and start earning at the grassroots trust. So I'm starting to watch companies now. Like if I just pick on some people in security, I look at companies like, uh, Threat Locker. I look at companies like Huntress. They're taking this approach. And this is the approach that um, Autotask and Datto took at the very beginning mm. in his mom's basement in Connecticut and up in Albany, New York, You know, Bob Gottgard and, and Austin McCor. I mean, they they grew their companies out of nothing. And now that company is a $4.2 billion public company. Without mm-hmm. direct sales, without direct marketing, without all the things you would think you'd need to get to a $4 billion valuation, it was all community. Right. And ConnectWise did the same thing. And they'll be a public company in the next couple of years, probably at the same valuation. And these companies are just so smart. You don't go and compete, which you know you have to do the Google search and you have to do the social message, social marketing and stuff. I mean, you have to check the boxes. But your strategy, the tip of the spear, should be the community and figuring out where the watering holes are and building trust at the grassroots and doing the work outside your firewall. Understanding that that MSP may never come back in to your portal and, you know, double click on your program and things like that. So you need to be supporting. The second thing is start paying MSPs for the roles they play instead of the point of purchase. MSPs actually don't really wanna sell products. It's not a profitable part of the business. They'd rather get away from it as much as possible. Like the system integrators don't really want to sell products either. Nobody Mm -hmm. wants to be in a single digit chasing money, chasing AR type of business. So if you Mm -hmm. allow them to walk a customer into the marketplace and you give them credit for those early influence moments, if you give them credit for walking and handholding that customer through a marketplace or even a direct sale, we know that 90% of this industry is partner assisted. A company like Microsoft is 96 just because they measure it better. And it doesn't matter anymore who collects the customer's money. When partners assist at every moment, those 28 moments before a customer makes a decision, the point of sale and in a subscription, which everyone's now in, that's the first 30 days. Now I have to drive adoption, pay MSPs for that. I have to drive integration and stickiness to get a customer for life, the renewals, the retention, pay MSPs for that. I need to do upsell and cross-sell across my portfolio. You know, Cisco gets in with Duo. Now go sell Umbrella. Now go sell the new Splunk when that closes. Now go sell some hardware too. The the upsell, the cross-sell and the enrichment every 30 days forever. This is the whole point of why MSPs are successful. They show up early, they show up at and they show up after forever, every 30 days forever. Getting the customer to the dance, getting them on the dance floor, and keeping them dancing all night long. That's exactly Mm -hmm. the way companies like Cisco and everybody else who's committed all-in subscription, they are not rated anymore, or at least they won't be in a few years, by the way Wall Street used to judge them, uh, which is financial. It's revenue, profit, and customer set. And then your stock goes up or down. Guess what? They're getting rated like Netflix. How many subscribers Mm -hmm. do you have? How many new subscribers came in this quarter? And what's your churn rate? Those are the three numbers. And last time Netflix reported their earnings, you or I or anyone, I don't think, picked up what the revenue number is because we don't care. None of us picked mm. up what the profit number is because there isn't any. But the point of the matter is their valuation is off the charts. And guess what? We're all asking the questions. How many subscribers And is Disney Plus right. capturing? You know, right. you know, growing to capture that? How many new subscribers? Uh-oh, bad number last quarter, stock tanks. And what's the churn rate? And nowadays with SaaS companies, they want to see your churn rate above 100%. Hmm. So yeah, you're going to churn out some customers, but the upsell, the cross-sell, and the enrichment that MSPs are doing, they'd love to see you at 108% saying that you're enriching the deals faster than you're losing them. That's the new metrics. And every CEO that I get to talk to across these big fortune-sized companies are getting pushed so hard by their board members to get into those metrics and turn you know the titanic to go and get these trillion dollar valuations the cards are already in front of them for msp's they should be demanding that they get better at attributing the work that they do at every stage get better at data sharing protected data sharing to make sure that they can show the work that they're doing and get paid in all those different ways, regardless if the customer buys it direct or buys it indirect or buys through a marketplace, I think it's going to be a third, a third, a third by the end of the end, of, uh, by the end of the decade. It doesn't matter. Get paid for the things you're doing and getting that customer for life. You should share in those riches.
0: Mm-hmm. Well said, Jay. Well, well said. That's very exciting to me, by the way. Just that whole, if they would adapt that, uh, it, it's... Um... It helps everybody. It helps. I'm pushing the vendor. it vendors. The to adopt. Yeah.
1: I'm pushing the vendors Good. to adopt it. You know, there's, yeah, a tech yeah. stack over, there's a tech stack over my shoulder. There's companies that are building the technology so that you don't have to pay the dollar at the point of sale. It doesn't have mm. to be, you know, front and back end margins and volume rebates and market development funds. Like that's the way we used to do it for 40 years. We're getting to the point now that if a partner comes in and helps during those 28 moments, They read an ebook. They speak at a chamber of commerce. They drop a, you know, key peer group in a local town like Wichita. You know, you got to be able to see this. And you got to see that that partner through those three, four, five of those 28 moments got the customer to the dance. When they arrived at vendor selection, they were arriving on a Ford dealership. They pieced through 365 cars, 62 different companies. They're on a Ford dealership. Who gets credit for that? And you need to start to pay for that. So start spreading that dollar, 33 cents, getting them to the dance, 33 cents, assisting them, whether you take Mm. the money or not, to get on the dance floor and then go pay that 33 cents to keeping them dancing forever.
0: Wow. Bravo. Bravo, bravo. Oh, wow. That's really exciting. That's really exciting. And I, you know, we work with a lot of vendors and um, yeah, I, I, I want to help advocate that message. You know, on the podcast, uh, we always, I always kind of common thread is discipline. You know, I, as you know, I lost a lot of weight. People always mm-hmm. ask me how, like there's some secret answer. Again, even to some of the questions that I've posed today, there's no quick answer. You know, you've got to work, you've got to understand, you've got to... The discipline. How does discipline uh, play a role in your life, uh, Jay McBain?
1: Well, much to the chagrin of my wife, um, you know, there's certain things. You know, I stopped drinking (laughs) when I was 15, after watching Top Gun, not because I had a drinking problem, because I wanted to buy a motorcycle. And after that point, I've never had a sip of alcohol since 15. Why? Because I wanted to buy more motorcycles and sports cars and houses and trips, and I mean, it was a financial decision, but I kept to it. And I never, even though I almost got fired from IBM because, you know, I was not drinking and my customers were drinking and my, my branch manager didn't think that was a good mix. Wow. You know, even though the peer pressure through college and everything else, I kept to that. You know, I was during college, you know, I was studying all night long, you know, cramming that last night before a test, which we all do, but <coughs> I brush my teeth at, you know, before midnight and then I cram all night and drink probably six or eight Coca-Cola, you know, cans. And then go wake up, brush my teeth, and go to the exam. Well, guess what? During that 12 hours, I was rotting my teeth. So I went into the dentist. I had like six different cavities in one sitting. And the guy's like, dude, you know, you're know you going to be in false teeth by the age of 30. So that was the last drink of Coca-Cola I've ever had. Wow. So now I'm 49. I've gone 31 years now without a drink of Coca-Cola. So that discipline, and you know, I guess for me, it takes a certain inflection point. And I don't know if there was one for you with weight, um, that there was something that hit you that day or, or whatever it was, but that now creates the discipline to stay the course, whatever you know, area of business or, or personal that you're in.
0: Yeah, very good. For me, it was, you know, my doctor saying, hey, do you want to see your daughter, you know, graduate high school? You know, I'd, I'd right. blown up to 340 pounds, and I was pre-diabetic, and I was, uh, you know, pre-hypertension, I had pre-hypertension, and uh, it was that. And so, like yourself, you know, you kind of came to that moment where I had to be a medical prof- uh, professional, you know, kind of come to Jesus moment, I guess you can call it, yeah. and that made you turn around. And just what we talked about today with discipline, with MSPs, for that bottom 25 to get up to that, you know, to get up to that higher level, you know, discipline, focus. I get a lot of pushback about discipline is you need more, perhaps we need more compassion and love. And, and I always say, well, isn't there a level of, you know, kind of self-discipline that's needed to have those, to have that direction, to have that focus? I wonder what your thoughts are. Well,
1: do you remember uh, the seven habits of highly effective people? You know, one of, of those course. was sharpen the saw. And when you're in that bottom 25, I mean, it's an incredibly um, difficult and stressful place to be. You know, you're trying to provide for your family. You know, you're yeah. trying to you know provide a, a shelter and a home. And you know you're in the right industry. You know you have the right skill set. You know the ingredients are there, but whatever you know cake that you're baking isn't you know fully forming. So the idea is, how do you take a step away? And and you're working so hard cutting down this tree. How do you step away and sharpen the saw? Am I in the right market? Am I in front of the right buyers? Am I in the right industry? Am I in the right geography? Am I, am I in the right sector of the market? Am I in the right product areas? Am I in the right models? None of us are 100% MSP. You know, I call an MSP because they reach about 30% recurring revenue. But in the other mm. 70% of my business, am I doing the right things? And looking left, looking right, looking into peer groups, looking into communities, looking into competitors, and just taking the time to assess what the differences are. And sometimes it's grow, you know, it's joining a, a specific group or something and just having the confidence to ask for more money. Take your, you know, least profitable customers and let them go, even though they are some of your early and best customers. If you mm. can't make it work, you've just got to get disciplined about it. And, you know, surprisingly, if you walk in with confidence and ask for more money and show them why you're worth that money, you know, a lot of them pay, not all of them, but a lot of them pay that. And and Mm. that's just one of these things about discipline. It's understanding your surroundings, understanding where the puck is going to be. I'm a Canadian, so I get to use that uh, analogy. But look ahead and look at all these faster growing. A bunch of things are growing faster than 11%, which the MSP market is. And I want to Go in parallel, and if I could have a toe in the water of the fastest growing places and work it into a managed services model that's repeatable and scalable, hey, that's where uh, that's where I can get out ahead of my competitors, and I can you know not only leap into the next twenty five quartile, but I can go and you know perhaps uh, get into that yacht buy-in crew at, at some point
0: yeah and to expend extend the discipline even to vendors of not you know like you say investing in communities and waterholes and not so much into portals and uh, i I just think uh, it it benefits uh everyone uh, what motivates you jay
1: <laughs> um, i I actually get to do a job that is a hobby of mine uh, I've been writing blogs for decades uh, about these yeah. things I tend to count my dad was an accountant so where other people form an opinion, I I usually form a number. I'm in the back scene, you know, counting things. Um, So I get a job now where as an analyst, I just get to kind of pull things together. And I don't actually have a day job. My day job is reading today's news, connecting dots to bigger trends, making predictions, being able to do things like a tech stack and these, you know, community lists and stuff like that. And it's just, it's different. I wrote a blog last week about quitting your job. And it wasn't, it was more of a clickbait title. But if you actually read the blog, managed service providers could take a look at how I talk about, you know, getting to an intersection, how you can go and look at these spheres of influence, which are these watering holes, how you can go start to take advantage. If you are in Wichita, Kansas, which I keep talking about, you know, how go look at that market differently. And there's five steps that I kind of walk through, which is all of everything I know, um, which I tend to share publicly It's just that's what I see the most successful MSPs doing. And, uh, that's the, that's what's created, you know, the, the discrepancies between, you know, the different sizes uh, of MSPs kind of sit right in there.
0: Yeah. Well said. And how do you measure success?
1: Well, I, I don't use money as a, as a measure for myself. Um, you know, I measure success by the impact you have on others. And that's the meaning of life is, you know, long after you're gone, uh, whether it's your kids or whether it's uh, the people around you, it's, are you contributing? Are you adding value? Are you, you know, Hey, you know, that was, uh, that was somebody else. Uh, you know, they, they came at it a different way and, you know, they helped me in this and this way and they didn't ask for money. You know, they were, they were thinking about this, you know, raising all boats at all times and, and giving back. It's not philanthropy. It's, it's not charity because, you know, mm. you know, you make a good living doing it uh, if, if you can monetize it. But the fact of the matter is there's just, you know, every team needs different players. And if you have a team full of quarterbacks or if you have a team full of, you know, center icemen and hockey, whatever sport you want to talk about, you're not going to win a game and just building yourself. You've read so many self-help books about building people mm. around you that compliment you. And finding those people that can help you, that are you know giving and, and looking for the impact that they have, that's kind of what uh, in my mind motivates me. But um, I always look to others too that are that are, and, and I look to you. You know, you've helped so many with your own journey and, and sharing um, so much that um, you know there are you know tens of thousands of people. You know, maybe a generation from now will kind of point back and say, hey there's a legacy there. There was an impact and there wasn't a toll booth. There wasn't a cash register, you know, in front of it. That's
0: right. Yeah. Well said. Jay McBain, absolute pleasure. Once again, you've given me pages of notes and uh, I I always, I love, I love our conversations. I look forward to talking to you again. Hopefully, are you going out much? Are you, are you going to be traveling at all this year?
1: Well, I just got back and from Cancun, so yeah, definitely uh, took a first trip. Uh, but yeah, we're going to—we're um, probably going to go to the Bahamas. Uh, Michelle turns 40 this year, and I turn 50, so we have some milestones wow. later this year. We're going to go to Antarctica to go see some penguins. Wow. It's a trip that's now been canceled twice because of the pandemic. You can only right. go for two weeks of the year, so around mid-December through Christmas time. Uh, we tried two years ago, one year ago, and this year, you know, fingers crossed that you know we can take the kids and you know go jump on a boat in South America and go go look at some penguins.
0: Very cool. And you've been to all but one natural wonder, correct?
1: Been to all of them now. So as of last oh, week, been all. Chichen Itza ah, right. was the last one in Mexico. But yeah, hit all seven as of last week. Seven. We've hit every yeah. continent once we hit Antarctica. Um, that'll be the seventh continent we've been to, and. We're, we're trucking to hit 100 countries in, in the next um, uh, to make it to 100 countries uh, in the next couple of years, hit the final ones to get to that list. So, yeah, we've got, uh, you know, things outside of work that take discipline, take focus <laughs> and uh, obviously, you know, checking the boxes in a different way.
0: Absolutely. Jay, thanks again so much for this. I really appreciate your time. Uh, I hope one day we can uh, get together and have, uh, well, I drink ice water. I don't know. Oh, uh, whatever we have. <laughs> yeah, I think that'll do. Thanks again, Jay. You be well. Look forward- yes, yeah, me too. You be well and I'll talk to you soon. All right. Take care. Thank you for listening and or viewing Joey Pins Discipline Conversations. Please share this episode with one or two of your friends who you think may benefit from the episode. Our website, www.joeypins.com. There you find lots of resources and you could join our mailing list. Please follow us on all our social media, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook podcast information the video version of our podcast is on youtube please subscribe audio is on all major podcasting platforms please follow them and if you like it please consider giving five-star rating would really appreciate that would you like to financially support the podcast you can go to our patreon site consider five ten or twenty dollars a month there's all kind of plans that we have there it's like a one-time payment. What is this podcast episode worth to you? $25, $50, $100, $500, $1,000, $5,000. You be the judge. You can go to our PayPal account to do that as well. Thank you again for listening or watching Joey Pins Discipline Conversation.